how many people are hurting out there because I refuse to see enemy involvement in their problems. And so then I pray for these religious spirits that they would leave. They're the most deceptive in a Christian's life. And I'm so careful about people that say, well, God told me. So what did he say? And I've been a Christian a long time and I've never heard God's audible voice. Now maybe I'm missing something. But the people that have, I don't feel like I've missed much that come to me that are hearing God's audible voice. I know God has spoken. And I haven't got all this message down yet. And I'm really concerned about people that are hearing God speaking to them. Because so many of them have religious spirits. It's not God at all. It's enemy spirits that are talking to him. And start leading him into strangeness. Just watch him. As they give more and more over and do more and more what these voices are telling them, they get more and more into strangeness. Just, you know, just believe me. And they get into, you, know, you must do this or you must do that or someone else gets a word of the Lord for you. You know, that you need to be a missionary, you need to do this, you need to do that. I'm going, why can't God tell them? I mean, if God's got a message for me, I want to listen. And I want to hear. I'm, I'm not saying don't be reproved, but I'm so careful about this. We had a, a professor at one of the major Bible colleges. His wife came to us. I'll never forget this. This is back before we believed in any of this. She came to see us. And uh, she, she drove up. She came in. They graduated from one of the most conservative universities in America. I mean, super Christian conservative university of America there. I think the boys go one semester and the girls go another semester. But anyway, this girl came in. And she sat down and her husband was teaching a professor at this school. And she was so glad that we had been willing to talk to her because of her problems and so on. And she, she said, you know, it was so wonderful on the way over here. God spoke to me. And I had the nerve to say, what did he say? He said, oh, what he always does. He said, my beautiful queen. Right. The hair went up in the back of my neck. My wife wanted to go to the bathroom and I wanted to go outside. <laughs> and lady, you can have our house. You know? I don't want to be in this room with you. You're creepy. I mean, I didn't know, but I knew one thing. This was creepy. I mean, my body tells me it's creepy. But isn't that deceptive? Does God call some lady his beautiful queen? Is that his Holy Spirit speaking to her and so on? So when people say God spoke to me, you may not want to know what he said. You know, because it, it may be really off the wall or close to it. Then this is what we do. We pray about the physical body. Can the enemy attack someone physically? Did you ever see the lady that was bent over in Scripture for all those years? What did Jesus do? Did he heal her? No, he cast spirits out and what did she do? She straightened up and she was well. We're amazed. We have EKGs of people who are demonized. What we'd love to do is get EEGs of people where demons are up in them. We haven't been able to get them yet, but we have so many medical doctors that are pulling with us that, well, I'll tell you, the EKGs are really strange. In fact, EKGs are really strange of someone listening to rock music. You know that, don't you? The heartbeats are strange. And when rock music stops, the heartbeats go back to normal. That, that you can do on any, just listen. And they're doing some real things because what's happening is babies in uterine are having heart problems in the uterus when the parents are listening to rock music. It's affecting the heartbeat of the baby. And just talk to doctors. I mean, we've got some documented stuff on this from medical doctors and so on. And so there's a, you know, there's a real effect on this stuff on children and babies and music. And, and when, when demons are up in someone, and it really does affect them physically. It affects their heartbeat. 
it'll affect, I know it'll affect the brain waves. I just would love to see, and you know, one that's normal, and then one when the enemy's up to see what is the difference, and what's the difference in the waves, and is there any connection between people that are influenced by the enemy in, the, in their thinking and the brain waves and so on. So there's so much that we'd love to know, but we do know physically. And I just pray, Lord, if there's any physical attacks on this person's physical being, we just stand against it. Lord, we just command anything that's not of you to leave and to go where you send it. And then we ask the Lord to fill every area of their life. Remember it talks about a room swept clean? Then we pray that every area of their life would come under the influence of the Spirit of God. Because remember we said demons are only demons of what? Influence. It's true. And the Holy Spirit's only spirit of influence. So all he wants to do, being filled with the Spirit, is being influenced by the Holy Spirit. A, a Spirit-filled Christian is not a Christian who's out of control. It's a Christian who's under control, right? He's under control of the Spirit of God. And so we ask the Spirit of God to come into every area of their life and if there were areas where they're really bad off, we try to include those, Lord, especially these areas. You come in and rearrange it. You take control of these areas of life. And we ask the Lord to do that. And then we do this. We say, Lord, if you have set this person free, would your spirit bear witness with their spirit, not only that they're a child of God, but that they're free? And would your spirit give them an inner witness uh, that they're loved, that a joy would be springing up in their heart because that's a sign of the Spirit of God being in control and that there would be peace. Lord, you said that your peace should rule in the heart. That you would give peace that would pass understanding that our hearts and minds would rest in Christ Jesus. Would you give this person the inner witness of peace? But Lord, if we miss something, if there's something we did not adequately deal with, put a check in their spirit, put a heaviness in their heart. And I've had kids right there say, Logan, something's wrong. So what happened? So as soon as you prayed that, darkness came. A heaviness came. The boy the other day, remember? And we prayed, what is it, Lord? Why isn't he free? He's dealt with some pretty heavy-duty stuff here. He's had a real bad background. That 14-year-old boy I was hoping would be here that you could talk to, illegitimate, you know, just, just not the best start. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God said, music. He says, my music. I have music my grandmother doesn't want me to listen to. Music I know my mother wouldn't want me to listen to. So would you put that on the altar? Yes, oh Lord, I'll give you my music. <laughs> I'll put it on the altar and I'll go and I'll get rid of the stuff that Grandma doesn't want me to listen to. I'll get rid of the stuff I know is bad and anything that they say is bad. And when he did that, we prayed again and guess what? No heaviness. Just peace. And you know what people say at that time? I feel like when I got saved. You know, I was carrying a weight I didn't even realize. I had a load on me I didn't realize. It's gone. And I know I'm free. My heart is telling me I'm free. There is no darkness there. Some people see darkness and it just goes away. It's gone and I have the peace of God in my heart. So this is what peace is all about. You know, for the first time in my life, I can tell you, Mr. Logan, I've got peace. I never knew what it was. I always kept thinking, you know, somehow I knew that what's happening wasn't peace and I have peace. And God gives me the inner witness. And usually he gives me that witness too. And I look at their face. You know what happens to teenagers during the week? You know what the folks tell me? They're changing. Their eyes are changing. In fact, James, isn't that what happened to that boy? That James is here. He's my prayer partner. We had a boy. I don't want to say a whole lot about him. But this boy was heavily, heavily into evil. The boy that ran out wasn't going to let us work with him. And as the mother said, every day, his face was changing. She, could, she didn't know what we were doing. 
but she saw his countenance and was lifting and changing every day as he began to deal with these issues in his life. And so finally there was light, just light in his eyes. A young man from Moldova, I dealt with just recently. Moldova is on the Black Sea, part of the Russia thing, dealing with this very brilliant young man. After he was set free, the people he lived with said, your face has changed. He went to a new church, and a lady came up and said, is he a Christian? In fact, another teenage girl came up and said, is this, 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 he's a teenager, older teenager, about 19. Is he saved? And they said, yes. He said, I thought he was because there's such light in his eyes. When he came to see me, there was no light in his eyes at all, just darkness, just darkness through here. And that young man came to tremendous freedom just in Alaska, so neat. So it's so neat to see the faces change and the inner witness of the Spirit of God. Something wonderful happened in their life. Now, we're going to have to prepare them. That's now, we've just all we've done is taken back what? Ground. Now they're ready to fight. See, if there's ground, there is no battle. You know, it's just like, if I walked up to my room and there was this creepy guy standing out there in cutoffs, smelly, wine bottle in one hand and said, you can't go in your room unless you give me five bucks. I go, oh, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> so I give him five dollars. What's going to happen every time I go in my room? And that's what so many Christians are doing. They're doing that to the enemy. Every time he says, give me five bucks, they're giving him money. Now we've taken back the ground. But guess what? He's probably going to come back tomorrow for five bucks. You know, he's been so much there, he wants to come back. So now we want to go to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10. Do you know that Ephesians 6 follows Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and a half? And there's a reason. Because if you don't understand the first five and a half chapters of Ephesians, you can never understand 6, 10, and on. Paul said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of might. When he said finally there, it wasn't because he's finally bringing the book to an end. Because if that was true, why didn't he say it in Romans in chapter 16? You know what I think he's saying? Finally, I can deal with what's been on my heart. Because I told you who you are in Christ. I told you, don't grieve the Spirit of God. I told you, don't give ground to Satan. I told you to be filled with the Spirit in verse 5, in uh, chapter 5. And what's the signs of being filled with the Spirit? The signs of being filled with the Spirit is what do you say to yourself? Speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The second sign of being filled with the Spirit is singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The third sign of, of being filled with the Spirit is a grateful spirit, giving thanks to God always for all things and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the last thing is submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God that's a sign of being filled with the Spirit and so Paul talked about being filled with the Spirit now he's talking about now you can battle in the Spirit and there's no way you can do the relationships husband, wife, father, child and employer relationships in the rest of five and six unless you're filled with the Spirit it's possible you need to be enabled by the Spirit to do those things. And we said a husband loving his wife, he just doesn't do that. Wives don't submit to their husbands either. You know, there needs to be enabling God. Kids don't obey their parents. And you know, just real struggles. Dads frustrates their kids to the way he disciplines them. Most dads discipline kids how? In anger. Do you know that God 
does not give us permission to punish our children. Did you know that? He only gives us permission to discipline them. Punishment is done in anger and it looks on the past. Discipline looks for the child's benefit in the future. And that's what we're to do, discipline our children. Okay, Ephesians 6.10. He said, remember your strength is in the Lord and the power is might. What strength and power is that? The strength and power that raised Christ from the dead, that raised in the right hand of God, where he's seated in heaven over the enemy. So remember where your power is. And he says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the schemes or the wiles of the devil. So somehow the armor of God and the attacks of the enemy are connected. And then the King James says, for we wrestle not. And then verse 13 says, wherefore take unto you. This is very significant. In verse 11 and verse 13, when Paul talks about putting on the armor, he says, you need to put on the armor. But when it came to demons, Paul said, we wrestle demons. Who do you include? The Apostle Paul. Because he was already putting on the armor. He understood the armor. He was writing about it. But he said, we all wrestle demonic forces. You know, people say, I've been a Christian for so many, many, many years, and I've never seen any of this stuff. And I'm going, that's tragic. Paul said, we all wrestle spirits. And you haven't, and you've been a Christian a long time? What's wrong? Can you recognize them? Do you see them? Do you know how they're operating in your life? How are they working in your life? If you're to resist them, is that just certain Christians that are resist the devil? Or is that all Christians? Do you know what I'm saying? And you, we ask Christians, how many of you have ever resisted the devil and you don't get any hands? That's significant, isn't it? What's going on? Well, Satan doesn't work in Dallas. <laughs> I think I'll move here. <laughs> and I didn't know about Dallas. I hadn't found the place yet. So we need to put on the whole armor of God, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There it is again. Our battle is not against people. We battle demonic forces. We can battle people that are influenced by the enemy, but we don't battle people. Get your eyes beyond that. We look at people, don't we? We get caught up with people, and we say, look behind. Now I'm saying, I remember I said, many, many people are tools in the hand of Satan. But realize they're just tools. They're being used to the enemy. So focus on that. See that. And then he lists four categories of spirits. The first is principalities. Principalities is the demons that are associated with geographical locations. A prince, I know if you have a different translation, they're called rulers or authorities or whatever. But a principality in the King James, I like the King James so easy. Prince is one appointed and a palate is a geographical location. They're demons that are holding geographical locations in darkness. They're sent over these areas, and their job through the demonic structure under them is to keep that area in darkness. So when a missionary goes into an area where the gospel's never been and doesn't understand about principality, he's in for a real run for his money. That's why you ought to read the snake story. Eight years out of coning labored amongst these cannibals and two were saved. He and his wife had all kinds of problems and one day his wife said, Adam, if this is all there is to Christianity, we sure haven't got much. Seven missionary couples came to work with them and left because they couldn't take it because they didn't believe in, guess what? Principalities. And he read a book, How to Resist the Devil. And he read a book about who he was in Christ. And he's, remember I said he was going through the swamps and the demon screamed at him? 
And he said, what do I resist him in what name? You know, I mean, in what, what language? Well, he resisted him. He went to this tribe. I said, I won't give you the whole story. You need to buy the video. It's, it's, I don't know how much the video is, but it's well worth it. You'll love it. You'll laugh. You'll weep. And you think, what a neat, what a neat video of seeing what Logan was talking about in someone's real life and what happened. And he resisted the enemy, went into those cannibals, was talking to them, or headhunters, whatever they were, was talking to them. And because he had met the demon, Hohoi, and because he had resisted him, they thought, wow, what kind of power do you have? Well, what's the power? What's the secret? We lived in fear of this, this Hohoi all of our life and our ancestors. What's, what's the thing here? And I believe something like 38 or 40 people received Christ. So for eight years, he never resisted the enemy. And for eight years, nothing happened in his missionary life. And then he resisted the enemy one time. And all those people came to Christ. And then you re read the rest of the story. And how more and more and more are coming to Christ. And then the follow-up is what's happened since he's gone back after being gone for 10 years. And what's happening amongst those people now that they are resisting the, uh, resisting the enemy. It's just a phenomenal story, the snake story. It's, you get it from the Gothic thing, so if you don't have it, it's really an interesting thing to watch. So principalities, they're there. Daniel... They're in Daniel, the book of Daniel. Daniel was praying. The angel came. The angel couldn't bring the, the answer to Daniel. And uh, for 20, was it 21 days or 22 days, Daniel's praying and no answer. And this angel shows up and says, you know, Daniel, God sent me from heaven with the answer to your prayer 21 days ago. But the prince, the demon assigned to Persia, met me in the heavens and kept me 21 days from coming. Another angel was sent to help me. I've come down. He gives Daniel, this is Daniel 10, chapter 10. He gives Daniel the answer. Daniel, he says, I've got to go back into heavens because the prince, the demon assigned to Greece, is joined the demon assigned to Persia where Daniel was and there's this battle going on in heaven I must go so God just glimpses back and we see that there's these demonic spirits over territories trying to hold them down the second spirits that, that he says we all wrestle against are powers those are demonic spirits that seek to empower personal behavior if you take a number of people that are bound by a particular spirit and you put them in a city and you put them in one geographical location of the city, often you can sense that power. People have a tendency to gravitate according to their sins. Do you know there's a homosexual community here in this city? I don't know where it is, but someone told me the name of the place. I can't tell the name of the site. But there's a section here where, where the guys are and the clubs are and so on. If you would drive in that section, we could drive in that section. Those are sensitive in your spirit, not even knowing it was. I mean, there's no sign, you know, welcome homosexual community. I mean, you just drive in there, but you will, guess what? You will sense something in your spirit. Because there's so many people that are bound with that demonic power there that you'll feel it. You just will feel it. You can drive in another section of the city and you can put a blindfold on you and all of a sudden you get a creepy feeling and it's the violent part of the city. And that's where these people are really bound with alcohol and violence and so on. There's so much violence going on that you just sense and, uh, like almost a fear when you go in that area. When our missionaries in, in, um, in CEF were working in the, the welfare hotels in New York City, I've been on Manhattan Island in these welfare hotels, each welfare hotel you felt different. One you went in, you had a feeling of hopelessness. This is hopeless. Why even bother? I was in that one. Here I'm teaching this stuff. I'm in there. They're trying to reach these kids. This place is the most creepy place you'd ever want to go into. It's just horrible. It's just the pit smells like a sewer when you go in. And it's just horrible stuff. They have that preteen prostitutes on one floor. They use these girls. And drugs are being sold in and out through these welfare hotels. It's the most 
You can't imagine how awful. These kids are all abused, sexually and physically abused. Murders are taking place in the hallways. It's just, it's gross. And they're going in there. CEF going in there with the gospel for these kids. The only hope for these kids is Christ. There's no hope in the welfare system. There's no hope in that hotel. If Jesus went to it for them, there's just no hope. And so they're going in these uh, hotels and going in. I'm going in this hotel. I'm sitting there. We're in a room not quite this big with kids everywhere. You ever heard of ADD? Well, these kids are ADD, DDD, DDD, DDD. I mean, it's like a snake pit. They're just crammed in there. And, and one kid steps on a hand. And here you have a little kid in a good news club. You should hear the language. You know, I didn't, you know, make a sailor blush. Little kids. You know, get off my hand. Just awful stuff going on. And we're praying and they're preaching the gospel and kids are getting saved. And it's just wonderful. But I'm sitting there watching this and I'm just... We walk out and the director said, Well, Logan, what did you think? And I said, It's hopeless. And so, you know, that's what we all feel in that one. Wait, we go to the next one. You're going to have a different feeling in that one. I'm going, oh, brother. Here I teach this stuff, and guess what? I was influenced by it. And what's going to happen if I was ministering in that hotel, and I allowed that spirit of that place to do what to me? Say, so this is hopeless. What are you going to do? What kind of effort are you going to put in to reach these kids? Not much. The other one wasn't, because this hotel wasn't violent. The other hotel was violent. You went in, and guess what happened? All of a sudden, you were fearful. It's amazing. I mean, I've seen it. I've felt it. And remember, I said I'm the last one to feel something. But, I mean, you get it's so bad in these places, and there's so much of it, you can cut it with an axe. You just sense it in there. So these are the, those spirits. We're wrestling these. The next grouping of spirits are the rulers of the darkness of this world. And these are the ones that are assigned to political rulers. King behind the one that we look at Ezekiel 28. Remember the king behind the king of Persia. The, the king of Persia had a king behind him, influencing his decision. There are enemies assigned to our leaders. And when I get to do these these congressional things, I had to turn down two of them this year. I felt so bad speaking to congressmen, senators, and judge and lawyers, and from Washington D.C. and so on. I couldn't go. I let these guys know. Do you realize that demons want to influence your decision? I mean, you can't be in Washington, D.C. very long and not know that you're not in an evil place. And the enemy is just doing havoc in that city. And he wants to influence our leaders to make decisions so what? Darkness can come in. Can you explain what has happened the first, was it the first three weeks of our president's presidency without a, demo a demonic explanation of how all that stuff could be turned around so quick? How could, you know, all these things that were there are gone, just like that. Uh, it's the enemy. And then, the, and that's why we're to pray for our leaders, that you lead a quiet and peaceful life. Pray that, that the influence would stand against the influence, the influence in the minds of the, our congressmen, senators, Supreme Court judges, and so on. And then the last one is spirit wickedness in high places. And these are demonic spirits that work in occultic in the occultic arena now if this building was on fire I know some of you like me some of you I've known before here how many of you would want to run in this building and burn up with me I don't see any hands what happened in your first state of Texas when there was a fire at a guy's occultic headquarters what were they doing to some of his followers holding them so they wouldn't run in to burn up with them. 
Is that normal to want to run in and burn up? Wasn't he in Texas? Is that normal for people to run into a fire to burn up with their leader? That's got to tell you there's something there that's not natural. What about the fellow uh, from California that said, I want all of you to drink poison Kool-Aid. I'm going, let me tell you, friend, I don't even drink Kool-Aid that's not poison. I don't like it. <laughs> well, and, you know, and as much as I like Mark Bubeck, who runs our office, he said, you know, you're all going to drink Kool-Aid. I said, Mark, I'm sorry, but not me. You know, no one's going to make me drink poison Kool-Aid, let alone give it to my kids, unless what? Unless you can understand something of demonic spirits working in religious areas. There's a demonic dimension that you cannot explain. Why do people get involved in some of these cults and give them all of their money, totally all of their money, to get free or whatever through their, their process of what they're doing? It's all demonic. And those are the spirits that work in the religious area. And Paul said, because of this, take unto the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand. The key here is the evil day. I skipped it because I didn't know what it meant. Remember I told you, if you don't know what it means, skip it. This happens to be very, very significant. The evil day, Kenneth Weiss, who taught Greek at Moody for a lifetime, said what is significant is the article the with evil. It's referring to a specific day. It's referring to a specific day of violent temptations and attacks whenever they come to you. Not every day is an evil day, but there are evil days. Dr. Clinton Arnold said this, and I haven't got that one memorized yet, said evil days are specific times of temptation when the power of the attack comes with extraordinary power and the temptation to yield is strong. That's the opportune time. Remember I said, hook up the opportune time with this time. Satan will wait till you're vulnerable and bring in an attack on your life that is so powerful. I tell every single person when they leave my office, expect a big one. Expect a big one. It's going to come. How do you know you're free if you don't say what? No. If you don't get tempted, how do you know you're free? You've got to be tempted. There's no way you're going to know you're free until it comes. Now, God may put a glass dome over you for a while. God has given some guys three months because they were so weak. And God let them grow and, and be strong spiritually. And then they're living on the right side of the head. So God lets whatever they can handle at that time come. And he wants them to grow and be strong and resist more and more and more. But it will come. And I keep telling them, it will come. Count on it. I want them to know that. The last thing I say when they go, remember, <laughs> you're going to have an evil day. Don't forget it. Satan's going to wait till the opportune time. You've been warned in the scripture. You know your position in Christ. You know the armor of God. Know this, but go out there and do great damage to Satan and his kingdom. Okay, now, what about the armor? And let's run through the armor real quickly here. He said, stand therefore. See, after I've done everything to stand, when the attacks come like a wave, he says, keep on what? Standing. Keep on standing. Keep on resisting. Hold your ground. Don't give it to the enemy. Stand on it. You know, and there's times you're saying, I'm sick of warfare. I said in my office, hey, God, I'm sick of warfare. I wish it wasn't so, but it hasn't gone away. 
You ask people in Yugoslavia, do you guys like the war here? You know what they say? No. But it is. You know what I'm saying? It is. This is reality, friends. This is it. It is. Okay. Now, having done all to stand, have your loins good about with truth. I have a belt on. I want you to know it wasn't the first thing I put on this morning. The belt of the Roman soldier was not the first thing he put on. This is a list and list in Scripture often are keys to God's priorities. Some of the major teaching is given in lists. So here's another one of those lists, the belt. The belt of truth. Truth can only be one of two things. Either what I perceive is true or what? God's truth. What is it? What I perceive is true? No, it's got to be God's truth. Objective truth. God says, put on my truth. Why am I to put truth on? Because I'm going to meet the enemy today. Is this spiritual? What are we talking about here? Spiritual what? Warfare? I have an enemy. And he says, I've given you a piece of armor to protect you from one of his attacks. And Satan is what? The what? But why do I need truth? He's the what? The liar. The father of lies or the deceiver. And I'll never recognize the attack of the enemy if I don't know truth. Because every part of his attack will have a lie in it. To some degree or other. And so he's saying, if you don't know truth, you're vulnerable. If you don't know truth, you've had it. Because the enemy is going to lie to you and you don't know it's a lie. Because you don't know the word. So the first attack of the enemy is to get you out of scripture. Because if you're not in scripture, he's got you. Eventually. Because you don't know it. The second piece of the armor, and see without the belt of truth, nothing fits. I mean, it holds it all together. I mean, you can make a lot of illustrations out of it, but let's don't get into the illustrations. Let's just get into what does it mean. God says, put on my truth. Liar's coming. You'll recognize him. You'll be able to resist him. The second thing, put on the breastplate of righteousness. It can only be one or two things. And I wrestle with these. I have all kinds of books. I have 400 books on spiritual warfare in my library at home. The breastplate of righteousness, either it is my righteousness or the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's the only kind that talks about in the Bible. This is not mystical stuff. Will it be my righteousness? No, he said, all my righteousness is the filthy rags of a leper. No, it's the righteousness of Christ. Why do I need the righteousness of Christ? Who might I meet today? The accuser. Look what you've done. Look at this. You know what Jesus said in the Gospel of John? When Satan comes to me, there's nothing in me he can touch. See, hearing what the enemy said doesn't mean there was anything in him. He just heard it. Those thoughts were never conceived. He just heard the enemy. And we don't have to conceive the thoughts of the enemy either. And so when I stand in the righteousness of Christ, there's nothing in me Satan can touch. Isn't that beautiful? Say yes. Everybody's still awake. Yes, say amen and rejoice in the Lord. God said, if you give me your sins, Jesus said, you give me your sins, I'll give you my righteousness. It's a good trade. If you haven't done it, I trust you do it today. 
Give the Lord your sins and he'll give you his righteousness. And when the accuser comes, it just won't hit you. Those arrows won't sink. You refuse to receive it. And then the third thing is that you, are, that you let your feet be shod with a preparation of the gospel of peace. If there's any piece of the armor that has unusual teaching, it's this one. It is really unusual what they say. They say it means to go preach the gospel. No, it doesn't. He's not talking about preaching the gospel here. He's talking about what? Resisting the devil. This is all about spiritual warfare. They say, and they tell me, well, Logan, you've never preached the gospel or you wouldn't. I said, come on. That's not what he's talking about. You may want to make all the applications you want to, but you better know, you better make a specific application and you better make a specific understanding of what it means before you make an application. And I think the understanding is given to us in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's another major section on, on spiritual warfare. In 1 Peter 5, he says, Likewise, ye younger, 5.5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit to the elder. Yea, every one of you be subject one to another, clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Have you read that anywhere? Haven't we? James 4. God, it's so important. God gave it to us twice. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I looked up the word careth in the Bible. I did not know what it meant. And so I thought, I want to know what this means. I, I mean, I looked up in the Greek. And it meant matter of concern or object of his care. I thought, how beautiful. It says, you can cast all your care on him because you're an object of God's concern. You're an object of God's care. And when I'm under attack, what do I think? God doesn't what? Care. You ever heard that? Any of you counselors here ever heard that? I hear it all the time. God doesn't care. If God cared, how come? Right? God cares. How come this? God cares. How come that? I was sharing this with Wycliffe Bible translators, and they just translated this in Mayan dialect. And he said, I just put this in the Mayan New Testament. This guy's been working with, with the Mayan Indians for 30-some years. And they have the best Greek stuff and the best computer stuff and, and, and all this. And he said, this is how I translated it. He said, I did translate it. And then he said, Jim, it's biblically accurate. What concerns you concerns him. Isn't that a beautiful translation? What you're concerned about concerns the Lord. He does care. Satan says he doesn't care, but he does care. Now let's go into to, to warfare here. Be sober. Be vigilant because you have an adversary, an adversary, one who, oppo who opposes you, the devil. As a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. People say, Logan, you've got to answer this question before I listen to you. Do you believe a Christian can have demons? And I said, let me give you a worse one than that, okay? Let's go to 1 Peter 5.8. It says that Satan, as an adversary of believers, is walking around seeking to devour them, believers. The word devours means to gulp down quickly. I said, let me ask you a question. Can demons have Christians? I 
don't know what it means to be swallowed by the enemy, but I don't like the sounds of it, do you? Remember Jonah was swallowed by the whale? Now, I don't know what all this means. I don't. I mean, I've studied, I've read everybody that there's written on this stuff. No one has a good answer, but whatever it means isn't good. Isn't that right? you agree with me? Whatever all that means doesn't sound good to me. Now, what does it mean? Satan, like a roaring lion, seeks to swallow us up. I tell kids, he doesn't only want to eat your lunch, he wants to eat you. <laughs> Satan wants the whole thing. Now, let me give you this illustration. Let's say that... that we're staying here late tonight, and uh, you're here with me, and, and um, just a terrible storm going on outside, and you parked in the parking garage across the street, and it's time to, to go, and, and we pray, and, and uh, you're going to go, and I, I say goodbye, and just as you walk out in the street, uh, somebody stops and says, hey, 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 you know, a few blocks from here, there was a carnival, had a wreck, and a lion got out. It was going out another direction, but we just saw you on the street and wanted you to know. We thanked them. It stopped raining. It's cloudy and dark. And as you cross the street, heading for the parking garage, lightning strikes a power pole, and everything in the area goes pitch black. There's just no lights at all. And so you're trying to what floor was I parked on in that parking garage? And you're, you're rocking, and all of a sudden you get a sense that you're not alone. You know, oh, that's my imagination, but it does sound like toenails on the pavement. <laughs> Then all of a sudden, out of that darkness, there's just a deafening roar. What would you do? I get all kinds of illustrations, but most or answers, but most people say they would what? Run. Let me tell you the principle of roaring lion. Satan roars to get you to make decisions on the basis of fear. And then he roars again, and you run over here, and he roars. And all of a sudden, my whole life is made on the basis of fear. What am I told to do? Stand in the gospel of peace and resist him. Because you're going to meet the roaring lion today. Don't let him steal your peace. Stand in that peace. The gospel brings you peace. Jesus said, peace I give to you. Don't let the roaring lion run your life. And so many Christians are making decisions on the basis of fear, and Satan is running them terribly. So let's go back to the armor. I want you to see this, and I want you to get a hold of this. So it just when the enemy comes, and he will come in your life, you'll understand which piece do I need. Usually, there's one piece I need. I really need. You know, maybe it's the breastplate. Maybe it's standing in peace. But one piece will be. I know when you're under attack, will be probably the most meaningful piece of the truth that God is giving for us. And then he says. Above all taking, in the Greek and also the English changes here. Verse 14, he says, having your loins, having on the breastplate. Verse 16 says, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. What is faith? Faith requires a warrant. Faith requires a warrant. A warrant is a legal document on which an action is based. Did I give you the story of, of my version, the Logan version of, of uh, Noah? I didn't give you that one? I'll tell you. Mrs. Noah was out for a walk one day and she came home and she said, Honey, I've been walking all over the neighborhood. Do you realize we're the only family that doesn't have a boat? And I'd like you to build a big one. And so Noah built a big boat and God said it was a man of faith. One day, Abraham came home and he said, No, I'm so sick of the earth. Aren't you, honey? Why don't we just go for a walk? And so they went for a walk and he was a man of faith. Is that how it was? No. 
Their faith had a warrant. That was the warrant, what God had said. If someone wants to search your house, you're not going to let them search your house without a what? A legal document to do so. Faith without a legal document can be presumption. I believe I should have a Porsche. That's presumption. But at least a swimming pool. You know what I'm saying? The Christians are like that. If you believe hard enough, you're going to get a swimming pool. The reason you don't have it, you don't believe hard enough. That's not faith in the Bible. Faith is simply believing what God has said. It's simple to believe, but not easy to do. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about something. It's all God asked me. Just believe what I said. But it's not easy to do. I want you to go to Mark 4 on this. And it's a wonderful story here. 435-41. It says, The same day when even was come, he said unto them, Let us go over to the other side. And when he had sent away the multitudes, they took him even as he was in the ships, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so now it was full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on the pillow. And they awake and said unto him, Master, carest not that we perish? Did you ever hear that? Don't you care? And Jesus arose, he rebuked the winds, and he said, Peace be still. The winds ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now these fellows were in on the Sea of Galilee, they had fished, they understood the sea, and when fishermen say we're in trouble, the boat's in trouble, believe them. They were in trouble. And Jesus got up and he rebuked the winds. What's interesting, that's the word that's used for to give the demons. And then he said, I mean, he rebuked, yeah. He rebuked the wind and then he said, peace be still. There were two actions there. And many of your theologians that are into warfare believe that that was a demonically caused storm to get rid of Jesus, the disciples, the whole works right in the Sea of Galilee. Sink them all right out here and it's all over with. And he rebuked that and he said, peace be still. Whether it was or not is, is an issue, but I thought it's interesting. Then he turns and rebukes the disciples. He said, why are you guys so afraid? Why did he say that? Doesn't that seem kind of unkind? The boat's filling with water and there's all this stuff going on. And he said, why do you, you know, rebuke them? Well, the answer is in verse 35. Now, let me read verse 35 again. The same day when even was come, Jesus said unto them, Let us go out in the middle and sink. <laughs> oh, you guys got one of the newfangled versions. No, what did he say? Let us what? Go over to the other side. When Jesus said what? Let's go over to the other side. You're not going to sink in the middle. You know what he's saying? Why didn't you believe what I said? That's what faith is. And this is not always easy. You know what I'm saying? He said believe it, but it's not always easy to do because there are what? Contrary winds. There could be a storm or two that we never counted on. But he said what? Trust me. Believe me. Don't focus on what the storms, focus on the promise. And focus on the promiser. A promise is only as good as the promiser, isn't that right? You know, there was a guy around here trying to fleece the crowd the other night. Give me money so I can go to my dead mother's funeral, and I promise you I'll send it back. 
he's as bad as a guy who's going to pay back the $10 million. I'll <laughs> be patient, I'll pay you back the whole $10 million. Are you, anybody fleeced? I hope you didn't give him any money. Give him prayers. When you pray with him, he got really religious. He could really say Jesus a lot when you're praying with him. I prayed with him. But he was fleecing the crowd. And uh, I don't think there was any legitimacy at all to his. I mean, you got to be around these people. They, they know how to work a religious crowd because they're the most gullible. Um, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Back again. Raise up the shield of faith. If I don't let my faith shield me, then it's not going to get up because it's a take it up. Raise it up. Because the enemy's going to shoot those fiery darts. Raise up what you know is truth. Raise up God's truth. Raise up what He said and quench them. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of, of what's happening, trust Him. Believe what He said and you'll quench those fiery darts. Then take the helmet of salvation. It's interesting, the word salvation can always be translated by the translator, deliverance. Every single time salvation is used, I believe in the New Testament, the translator can use that word deliverance or salvation, either word from the Greek word. And in First, in First Thessalonians 5.8, it says, As for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Does God want me walking around saying, I hope I'm saved, I hope I'm saved, I hope I'm saved? No. It's the hope of deliverance. What does Satan tell me about my situation? That my situation is what? Hope what? Hopeless. Is your situation hopeless? Not if you know Christ, because he's a God of hope. He said, protect your mind, put on that helmet, Satan's going to tell you this is hopeless. But I tell you, beloved, in Christ, you have a right to be free, and there's deliverance for you. And don't let Satan rob you of that hope. Protect your mind. And then he said, and this really opened my eyes. I mean, I'm teaching uh, this stuff all week, every week, and all of a sudden I saw it, and I never saw it before. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Whose sword is it? Right, it's not to Christians. It's the Spirit's sword. That's very, very significant. Very significant. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. First of all, the Word of God there is rhema, not logos. So it's consistent with what Jesus did. He resisted the devil with rhemas. He said, use rhemas. You know. The sword of the Spirit, it's... There was a fad here for a while that kids were buying these lightsabers you know, these, it was, uh, they're fake because it was just a lot of this, this uh, Star Wars kinds of stuff going on and kids were really into all of this and there was these lightsabers and they, people were fighting with these lightsabers rather than rather swords they were fighting with, um, I guess there was some kind of, um, what do you call it? Um, I can't think of what you call it. I mean, I know what you call it, but it's so late in the day, I can't think of what you call it. <laughs> you know, the lasers, light lasers. And so they're, they're fighting with these light lasers. And when you're grieving the Holy Spirit of God, it's like taking a light laser and you go to turn it on and the batteries are dead. And all you can do is just throw it at the enemy. Because if you're grieving the Holy Spirit and you're speaking Scripture, all you're speaking is words. 
Every single word in this Bible is in a dictionary. An unabridged dictionary has every word. Let me give you some real spiritual, strong words. You know, people say, what are good words? Spiritual warfare words to use when I'm in spiritual battle under attack. Okay, let me give you some. And. The. Is. A. Aren't those in the Bible? Do they sound very powerful? But let me tell you, when they're empowered by the Spirit of God, they'll knock the enemy right out of your life. Do you get the point? That's why chapter 6 comes after all of this. If I'm not rightly related to the Spirit of God, there is no spiritual battle. I've already lost. I need to be rightly related to God. I need my life right before God. I need to know that I'm on the right side of the head. I need to know that I've yielded my body and the parts of my life to the spirit, uh, to the control of the Spirit of God. Now, when I speak forth Scripture, it comes forth in what? Empowered of the Spirit. And it'll work. You don't need to put Scripture verses in a piece of paper around your neck on a chain. You know, all this kind of stuff that people do. Because that's not it. It's the empowering of the Spirit of God, these words. And then the last weapon is prayer. And setting up prayer targets. There are three areas to target your prayers. A believer, unbeliever, and a backslider. And you assign one of these categories to a particular weakness in your life. If you have trouble with lust, you may have a friend who is not saved. And every time you're tempted to lust, and you battle that through, then you turn around and you pray for that unsaved friend. Lord, you know John. You know where he is. You know what he's doing right now. And I pray your Holy Spirit to speak to his heart. Bring conviction in his life. Bring him to salvation and may he do great damage to Satan and his kingdom. Then you have a problem with worry, and all of a sudden you're battling with worry, and, and so you resist that, and the enemy goes. And you say, well, I got Sally. Boy, she's a friend of mine. She just worries all the time. And, and uh, I mean, I worry all the time. Sally is a backslider. I don't know what's going on in her life, but I know she's not walking with the Lord. Lord, I pray for Sally. You know where she is. You know what she's doing. You know she's not walking with you. At one time, she was such a dynamic Christian, and now she seems to be in the camp of the enemy. Lord, speak to her heart. Bring her to repentance. Turn her life around, and may she do great damage to Satan and his kingdom. And then let's say that you have a problem with temporal values or in the area of finances or something like that and you're tempted there all the time and so you, you assign in that area of your life uh, your pastor and so when you're tempted in that area you turn around and you pray and you say Lord I pray for my pastor and I pray that when he gets up and speak that Paul said pray that I would speak what? boldly Lord let him speak boldly and may he do great damage to Satan and his kingdom just anoint his message. Just may we see the Spirit of God work in a mighty, mighty way as he speaks here uh, in, in our service. And so that is the armor. Now we've got some more things we can do rather quickly. The first thing we said, steps to setting someone free, is repentance. The second step is taking back ground. And then understanding the armor can be by itself or needs to be in here because the next thing we need to do is to tear down strongholds. They have to come down. And the teaching on strongholds is rather simple. In fact, uh, Rick has some new material that he shared with me on strongholds and I just, right now it's, it's not there in my mind but it was really good and I'm going to incorporate it into my teaching and in the book. 
But I have to go back and look at it. He was sharing it in the car, some things he got out of a Greek study he was doing on this thing of strongholds. But 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, and 5, he says, For we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. There it is again. Paul said in Ephesians, and he says it here in Corinthians. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, the pulling down of strongholds. The casting down of imaginations and every high thing exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Okay? He said that we are to... The weapons of our spiritual battle are mighty, and that Greek word means divinely empowered, or the ability to perform anything. The idea that God is going to empower these weapons so that we can pull down strongholds. Strongholds are built on surrendered ground. When the children of Israel went into the promised land, they did not have to reclaim the ground, in a sense, because the ground was already theirs. They didn't have to go get the ground. God had given it to them. Abraham had walked it off. It was already ground that belonged to them. But there was a problem. And the very first problem was the first town they came to had a stronghold, which was what? Jericho. Now, let's say that we got together and I said, how many of you people into blood? How many of you want to probably die in battle? Well, why don't we just let Jericho stand there? Because after all, they're in, the, they're in Jericho. The walls are up. The doors are shut. And you guys will just farm around it and leave it stand. What's wrong with that? Letting that stronghold stand now that I've dealt with the ground. The ground is now back in the Lord's and all that. The problem is it becomes a point of contact for the enemy in my life. What is the difference between stronghold and ground? Remember, ground is given by action. Strongholds are wrong belief systems. They've got to come down. They become a point of contact in the enemy in my life. And these strongholds have to come down. And each stronghold came down differently. Remember they walked around Jericho seven times? And then seven times the point of them fell down? And they wrote a book. Seven ways to take a stronghold. But then when they got the AI, it was different. Remember one place they said, send out the choir. They said, send out the what? Oh yeah, the choir. Hey, you guys go out there. <laughs> but isn't it amazing? Each one of those strongholds was a different battle. I think God is saying, don't get hooked up on methods. Be sensitive to me, but they've got to come down. And God will reveal the strongholds one at a time, one at a time. And one of the very best books, I haven't recommended any books yet. I told you books not to buy. One of the very best books on taking back strongholds is Living Free in Christ by Neil Anderson. It's the best book he ever wrote. I just told Neil that recently and he said, Jim, it won't work for non-Christians and it won't work for Christians in bondage. I said, Neil, it's still the best book he ever wrote. Absolutely phenomenal. Do you understand who you are in Christ? Most attacks of a believer is in that book. They believe they're condemned, they believe this, they believe that. They don't even know who they are, and they're not standing on who they are in Christ. They need to know. It's a wonderful book. And this is what I encourage my, my counselees have to get that and start on it on Monday night and read a chapter a day, because a chapter a day keeps the devil away. Now, I, I say, read a chapter a day, and I want you to talk about it. When you go home, I want you to read only two chapters a week, because I sat down and read the book in one day. I got five books from Neil, five new ones. And so I sent him a thank you. I said, Neil, thank you. I got your five books. I said it was of God because the, the, uh, the leg of my desk fell off and I stood those books under and it holds the desk up. Thank you very much. <laughs> so he wrote me back a thank you for my thank you. And he said, Jim, I've had a vision from God that the other leg's falling off. I'm writing five more books. <laughs> but it's one of the best. I, mean, I read it in one day. 
but it doesn't do you that neat book needs to be internalized the truths of that book need to be internalized so I said read the book on Monday and talk with your children for two days on it what should this mean in your life that you're accepted in the beloved what does that mean what does that mean to you what does it mean that you're a friend of Christ how does your life be different? We've got to internalize that. And then I'll tell you, half the battle that Christians are having, they're not going to have in these strongholds if I know who I am. I'll be stronger and stronger. And then other things as they come up, God can reveal them. And when the strongholds come down, the towers of truth have to come up. Oh, I remember that about strongholds now. And um, Rick's sitting here, so I want you to shake your head yes, Rick, if I say the right thing. Because Rick did a study on this, and he showed me the Greek book it was in. And uh, it was exciting. Where to take thoughts captive. And you know where we're to take those thoughts when we take them captive? To the Tower of Truth, which is a stronghold. And that was in a Greek book. That's the teaching there. See, because what has the root of a stronghold? The root of that stronghold is a belief system or a lie that's not true. God said, take that, take it to the tower of truth, and put it in that tower. Because once you face the lie with truth, I've got a decision to make, don't I? Am I going to believe a lie or believe this truth? And the hard part about believing truth is, Satan can attack me with my emotions, and I have to fight it with objective truth. But it's not easy. Is it? When I feel I'm inferior and God says I'm not, what am I going to do? Believe what I feel or believe what God says? But I wish I'd get these feelings I was superior. That would help. <laughs> you know? But I don't get those feelings. You know, can I, can I trust this? It's all back to it, isn't it? Can I trust this? Warfare is all about. Can I trust this book? Can I believe what he said and come against the enemy? And then I'm to take every thought captive. That's the last thing. So I'm to take these strongholds or belief systems, bring them, tear them down, and build up towers of truth out of that rubble. Because a stronghold, of, uh, which is a lie, when it comes down, the only way it comes down is when truth, it's almost like it comes up automatically. As I tear this down, the tower of truth comes. And then he said, these thoughts are going to come. Take them captive. Now, uh, let me ask you this. The word captive means take its spear point in the Greek. Now, we have 25 prisoners out in the lobby. These prisoners are violent sex offenders, all murderers. And uh, we were not able to handcuff them, chain them, or tie them. And I'm going to give you a spear, and I want you to go down and keep those prisoners in, in line. You don't want to with one spear, do you? Any volunteers? Now, and you know what he's telling us when he says, take him at spear point? What's God saying? One spear, one thought. Take that thought, spear point. Just don't let that thought go on and on and on and on and on and get you. Take your thoughts at spear point. How do you recognize a wrong thought? What do they look like? Are wrong thoughts cultural? It's all right if you're in the South to think one way, but if you're from the North, you think another way. Or if you're in another country, it's all right to think. How do I recognize a wrong thought? Because if I don't take that thought captive, what will happen if it's wrong? It can take me captive. That thought can be conceived. And what will happen if that thought gets conceived? It will bring forth, what, sin in my life? And if I keep sinning, what will it do? 
It will give topas to the enemy. Ground will be given to the enemy. I'll start having all kinds of problems and strongholds will come in my life. It'll start out back again. So I've got to take these thoughts captive. How do I recognize them? And let me tell you, the way you recognize wrong thoughts is Philippians 4.8 where God said, think on these things. That's what you're to think on. And if your mind, if the, you're going to set your mind on these things and these things you violate any one of that list then you know that your thought is what? What? Wrong. What is the very first thing on that list? Whatsoever things are what? True. Do you know that's the first piece of the armor? Same Greek word. The opposite of the word true we think is false. That's false. True holds with it in the Greek. Part of it is false, but it's more than that. Literally, it's this. If you look at the Greek word, I'm just telling you, get a study, look it up yourself. I have my counselees, because most of them I get are in the Gothic Homeschool Program. About half of them are in that program that I counsel. And they have to have a Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words and a concordance and a number of things they're supposed to have in order to homeschool their kids. I say, look up. Have your family sit down and look up these words and define them. You'll remember them better than me telling you the definitions of them. But I want to give you the definition of the first one, because you're going to find there's a lot of words as you look in a Greek dictionary of that word. But this is what I believe is the best for warfare of the definitions that are there. And it, it sums them all up. It's conforming to reality. Do these thoughts conform to reality? See, true means real, genuine. Men that are in sexual addictions, what do they do with their mind? They what? Fantasize, don't they? Does that conform to reality? Is fantasy what God wants you to think about? No. Go through that list. Is this a pure thought? No, then God doesn't want me to think about that. It's not pure. I reject that. You know, is it a good report? It's caused me to think bad of people? No, God doesn't want me to think that way either. Go through, look at those words, define them. They'd be very, very helpful. And then in closing, I want to share something I shared for the very first time in Alaska. And it was through reading the scripture. And... Um, I want you to go to 1 Timothy. And let me share these with you. Now, I told you, I went through the Bible and I've marked every passage, New and Old Testament, that I know of that has any reference to spiritual warfare. I marked them special in my Bible. And then I've gone back and done special studies. If I didn't understand the word, I would contact a Greek or Hebrew professor that I had taught with in one of the schools and be sure I was on track. Because I've seen people go down alleys in warfare, and I don't want to go down one of those, but I want to share what God says, and I can share it with conviction. I know this is what God is meaning here. Now, as I was reading 1 Thessalonians, I mean, 1 Timothy 3, he's talking here, he said, in leadership, don't put a novice, verse 6, don't put a novice in leadership, lest he be lifted up with pride. Isn't that interesting? What's going to happen? He'll fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them or with art, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Hmm. Snare, snare. What does that mean? Trap. Okay. Now, you turn a page, and if you have the right kind of Bible, you turn a page. And then you come to chapter 6. 
And he said, They that be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Hmm, trap. So I went to the Bible and I did a study on snares from Genesis to Revelation. Every verse that talked about snares or traps. Now, when I was in my first church, I grew up in Los Angeles and I pastored a church in a place called Nowhere, California. We were 100 miles one way from a major city, 75 miles one way away from a barber. Uh, uh, if you blink, blink through our town, you missed it. We had 18, we had 450 people within 18 miles of the town. I never lived in a rural area before. I couldn't sleep when we first got there because it was too quiet. All we could hear was crick, 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 crick. Would those things shut up? I want to hear a truck or something. <laughs> Airplane or a train. You know, a bus would come through town and I'd follow behind it smelling the fumes. See, I grew up in Los Angeles. It makes me homesick. <laughs> I can't breathe up here. I don't smell anything. Are you sure there's any air in this town? I mean, it was unbelievable. Here we are, nowhere. Here I am, this country bumpkin up there pastoring my first church. Unbelievable experience. I mean, it's unbelievable what God taught me up there. I hated the first year. Hated it. Just absolutely hated it. Had to light seven fires in the church. Wood fires. I didn't know that civilized people had wood stoves. And I <clears throat> had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and get the fires going in the church so it would be half warm when the people got there because it gets so cold up there. We're way above Reno, Nevada, but same kind of weather at Reno. But anyway, I was up there and the guy in the church said, Logan, Pastor Logan, would you like to go on my trap line with me? It was interesting. This fellow was the first person I led to Christ who was an alcoholic in our town. He's now in Alaska, and I'm going to see him for the first time in about 25 years, just a few weeks ago. And after he got saved, he had to go to jail. And he wrote me from jail, and he said, I've talked to the chaplain. I don't think he's saved. Did I write a witness to him? And I said, yeah, I think it is. So he witnessed him. Just unbelievable story. I mean, this guy's led more people to Christ than I ever would lead. I mean, with both my hands, he's done more with two hands tied behind his back. He's just one of these natural soul winners. Well, it was so thrilling to be with him in Alaska see him again. Well, anyway, we went out on this trap line, and I have never been on a trap line before, and so I'm walking around. He says, stop. I said, why? He said, you almost stepped in the trap. And I said, really? What do they do with the trap? They hide it. What do they dangle? Bait. If you want a bear, you don't dangle a mouse. Now let me read 2 Timothy chapter 2 to sum up everything that I'm sharing with my counselees is the last thing I tell them when they leave. 2 Timothy 24, 25, and 26. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach and patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preadventure will give them repentance. And there's God in repentance again. If God will grant them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. In 26, this is it. That they may recover themselves out of the snare or the trap of the devil. And the King James, the translation of this, is really sad. I'm sorry to tell you it is wrong. This is what it says in the King James. Who are taken captive by him at his will. That's frightening, if that's true. 
If that's the translation, then I'm just walking down the street and all of a sudden Satan's taking me captive at his will. Anytime he wills to take me captive, no. You look in the Greek and I'll check it out. Look in the Greek and this is what it says. Who are taken captive by Satan to do his will. That's spooky. Satan is going to set traps for every single one of us. And the purpose for trapping us is so what? We will end up doing Satan's will. Is it possible for Christians to do Satan's will? Sit in my office for a week and you get your eyes opened. What they're doing is certainly not the will of God. They're doing the will of the enemy. And this is what I tell my counselees. What is the bait that you'll go for? What is the bait that Satan's going to dangle for you? He dangles it for all of us, right? There's not one of us here that he's not going to dangle bait for. And let me tell you, you're not a very wise Christian if you don't try to discern what is the bait in my life right now that I'd go for. The baits can change. And I'm not struggling with who ought to marry. You know what I struggle with? I struggle with two things. They're weird things, but I struggle with them. And Satan can get me if I'm not careful. I don't like getting the alumni news from college because when I read the alumni news now, it's not what all of the guys I went to Bible college are doing, it's how many of them have died. And I read about this guy, he died of slow cancer, and this guy died of slow cancer, and this guy died of slow cancer. And guess what I think about sometimes? You know, I'm not a kid anymore. And I get this thought, am I going to die? What if I died of slow cancer? You know, those aren't pleasant thoughts. You know, it can really, and Satan can really get me with that. Because is it a reality at 62, there's a good possibility that God said I have three score and ten years. I got eight years left. If I die on time, you know, if that's my time, I got eight years to make my life, to do more significant work for God and some damage to, king, to Satan's kingdom. But, you know, it may be cut short. And those thoughts come. You know, when I was 25, I never thought about how I was going to die. Anybody here 25 thinks about how they're going to die? You need to see a counselor if you do. But if you're my age, you don't need a counselor. You just need to stop thinking about it. Because <laughs> it's more of a reality. You know what I'm saying? It's more of a reality. The other thing is, you know, what happens what people do when they're 62? They, they, they're called retired. Oh, have you ever checked what you get on Social Security? What are you going to do, Logan? You trusted the Lord all your life and you're going to be... <laughs> What are you going to do when you retire? You think the enemy can get him with that bait for a while? And guess what I just have to do? What I've always done. Trust the Lord. Do you know what I'm saying? But the enemy comes. I'm telling you. Those battles come. Those thoughts come. All of us, there's, there's bait there. And if we're not careful, what will happen? We'll start grabbing hold of it. We'll start thinking about it. Those thoughts will be conceived. And what will it eventually bring forth? Sin. And that sin is doing the will of Satan. I hope none of you are trapped. And if you are trapped, if you're here and you've been trapped by the enemy and there's a bondage in your life, that there was enough in this conference, if you will do it, I can guarantee you'll be free. Because we see it every week. And we have fellows that were in horrible bondages, given up by some of the major counseling centers, that when someone calls me and says, I have this problem, I said, you know, we have a fellow that had your same problem. Would you like to call and talk to him? 
He's free now and he'd be glad to talk to you. Well, people can't get through this. I said they've been free two years, three years. We'd like to talk to them. They're Christian men. They were in terrible bondages. Many of them contemplating taking their lives. They would be willing to talk to you. Or your husband's in bondage. And your wife, you don't know what to do. We have a wife that ministers to so many people because her testimony came out in my last prayer letter or the prayer letter before this last one. Tremendous testimony knowing her husband was in bondage and how she was tempted to straighten him out and how she all she did is as he rejected her and as he was mean and cruel to her, she kept thinking, can Christ meet my deepest needs? Can he really do that? And she focused on becoming a godly woman while her husband was getting worse and more and more abusive. And her husband's a medical doctor. And she never told anybody and she just quietly became a godly woman. And it came to the place after five years, a wonderful testimony. I want it in the book so badly. Put a piece of it in the book. I want the whole thing in the book. Because it will give so much hope to women that have been living in a very horrible, sad, happy, unhappy home. As she began to focus, after five years, she came to this in her life. She said this, Lord, if I have to give up my relationship with you in order for my husband to be free, I choose for him to continue to treat me the way he's treating me that I might have this relationship with you. Isn't that a wonderful place to come to? Because you're truly meeting the deepest needs of my heart and mind. And this lady has encouraged so many women and she will take collect calls for any woman that's struggling because she knows what it's like to be verbally abused, to be, object, to be rejected, to be just abandoned by her husband. But she found Christ was sufficient. And she encourages other ladies right now to look to the Lord and let God change her husband. And her husband was changed. And now the two of them are being used of God to set people free. But she went through a lot of suffering. But she was willing to suffer to bring healing to the family. And never shared with anybody what was going on. She felt it would be disloyal to her husband. And her pray for my husband. He's a mess. She said, no, I'll just look to the Lord and let him meet my needs. So look to the Lord. You may be going through a situation. There's nothing you can do about it. But God can meet the deepest need of your heart. He promised he could do that. It's not cliches. It's truth. Father, we, we just thank you for this day and a half. We thank you for the focusing on your truth. Lord, that you told us that if we would stand in truth, stand in the armor of God, and resist the enemy with scripture, that he would leave. And so, Father, we pray that we might learn how to live and how to do successful battle against the wiles, the schemes, the thoughts of the enemy and the attacks. And, Lord, that we might recognize what is it that Satan would dangle for me to try to get me to step in that trap so I would do his will. Lord, we want to stand against the will of the enemy. We want to be committed to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for those that have come long distances, Father, or short distances. Give them a traveling mercy as they go home. And Lord, we, we, we've covered a lot of territory, a lot of ground, and looked at a lot of scripture. And we just ask that the enemy would not be allowed to steal it, but it be stored in our heart. And when we would need it, you would just bring it to our attention. Because, Lord, we're thankful for the light that you've given us this week. And teach us to walk and to appropriate that light in our lives. That we might experience all that you have for us in Christ. We ask this in his name, that he be glorified. 
Amen.